But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. Welcome back to Value Adds Value, everybody. My name's Kyle Krieger, as always, joined by my guy, Will Give You Law the Third. Will, what's good? What's up, man? Um, everything's good, as you always say. It's Dude, all good, man. Loving um, it. I'm loving it. Last week of summer school, for those who are listening, this is being recorded um, June 29th, and this is my last week of summer school. I finally get a summer mm-hmm. after this week. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm fired up, man. A summer to transition into writing full-time. You, get, you, got, you got 31 days to be a full-time writer. Which, you know, I've been doing it already, uh, you know, waking up in the mornings, taking care of it, knocking it out. But um, uh, to be able to just devote my time, I cleaned out my office. Well, I'm in the process of cleaning out my office and study upstairs to get everything set up to where it's conducive. And uh, man, just like I say, just make that my full time. You know, if I can come here for eight hours and work with kids, I can sit at home for eight hours and work on me. And right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, right. With the other projects we're working on, I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm, I'm, I'm learning that it's almost not as much about the things I am doing, but more about the things I'm not doing. So I need mm-hmm. to stop doing things like clicking on YouTube and going down those rabbit holes, but you know, you know, me and, and how I do that. But, um, yeah, man, it's going to be, it's also going to be our birthday month in a couple days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Birthday I'm month. super excited about that. Birthday month celebration. So we are jumping on here. Um, man, it's crazy to think this is episode 326. 326. So just still really proud of, of that, that we have stuck through it or not stuck through it, stuck to it through it however you want to say it but um to, to, to it through the pandemic through the pandemic and, and, and still and still made sure that we we brought content that was relevant to people's situations um you know and again you know i tell people i tell you know like some of my coworkers that this podcast is really a labor of love yeah um you know it's something that that we do because we feel that it is important for teachers to have a voice and so, you know, that, that being said, you know, I go back to what my great grandfather used to say, that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so, you know, we, we wanted to, and, and on that vein too, I think it's important for us to remember that this, this podcast is our views. So especially as we're talking about this next topic, we want to make sure that 
we are not expressing the views of either school district we work for nor any other agency. This is just us trying to process the debate around and the social um, situation around critical race theory. Um, we have three questions. Uh, we're gonna start with what is critical race theory? We are then gonna ask why are so many threatened by it? And finally, um, with critical race theory, where does that leave our kids if we don't do it, if we do uh, embrace it? So those are the questions we wanna ask. But, but again, uh, like you said, well, this is as much, this, this podcast at times has been cathartic, at times it's been uh, enlightening or uh, invigorating. So this is, I mean, for us, it's done us a lot of good. And, and this is just, you know, with a lot of topics, a part of our process of coming to an understanding of something. So let's start with what is critical race theory. And I'm going to just give you the, the definition that I found online for it. It is critical race theory is an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists in the U.S. who seek to critically examine the U.S. law and its intersects with the issue of race in the U.S. and challenge to mainstream liberal approaches to social justice or to racial justice. So, I mean, how, how do you feel about that being the definition of it? I think it sums it up. I think it's crazy that we've put in a place to tag on history. Yeah. Um, because it happened. Right. We're not making things up, you know? So uh, to be able to look at, and you know, my question in, in the defining of it is, if it is simply an examination of how biases exist within our American structure. What is the fear of that? Um, and so, you know, critical race theory to me, like when it, when it first came coined an idea, you know, and you start hearing people talk about critical race theory, critical race theory, critical race theory, then my question becomes, why did it have to have that title? Because it's just history. Yeah. It's an examination of history, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, and I and I understand, you know, to me, the understanding I have of the name is that they wanted to emphasize that race has played a more pivotal role in our country than we have assumed. And I was reading up a little bit on it uh, before we jumped on, you know, in the 1970s and 80s is when maybe not the term was coined, but the, the research started because people started to ask after all of these civil rights, all of the civil rights legislation and all of that stuff had passed, why weren't things changing? And then they, you know, we're looking back at why after, um, why after the, um, you know, emancipation of the slaves or all of those different markers that people point to of, people of color getting more rights in our country why hasn't racism gone away and that's really where it comes from and it, it begs a question or posits that race is embedded into the structures of this country is my understanding right. and, from critical comes from and i and i'm with that and even like you made a statement and and this is something that i've been really researching 
the, uh, here lately is even the need for you to make the statement people of color. Because that's to insinuate that there are people without color. Yeah. Because it goes back to what my ancestors were called when they were saying, oh, these are colored people. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if we're talking about trying to show how race plays a part in, in, in the building of it, it is to me kind of, to say that it doesn't is, 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 is are, you, are you really being honest with yourself to say that race had no part? When as a man, if I go back to 1776, I was not considered to be full human simply because of my skin color. Even in the first constitution, the first I, I would, the constitution, I, were only three fifths of a person. It, it, it was in order to, to be able, you can't say I'm selling a human being. I have to label you something because of your color in order for me to justify buying and selling you for my profit. To say that now, tickets and look at race theory is, is kind of, it's laughable in a sense because you can't talk America without talking about race. And I know a lot of people don't wanna have that conversation. A lot of people wanna shy away from it. My wife and I took a drive the other day through our old neighborhood and just notice how there is no major food groceries chain in that neighborhood. But if I go just a few minutes the other direction, in another neighborhood, there are three, four, five. And the only difference is who inhabits the demographics of those communities. So again, to say that we have to now critically examine race theory in America, and then have so many people opposing it, it's like saying, so how do you want me to talk about America without talking about race? Because it has been at the forefront of everything in America since America. Yeah, you know, and the thing, and the way I understand it too is this theory talks about race more as a social construct than a biological construct. And, and, and if you take a look at it from that perspective, you know, the people who are saying that I don't see color and race is not a thing are descended from the people who created that particular structure. Because biologically, you can't, you, you we're can't say you don't see color. No one says, yeah, I don't see color. That, that, that's laughable. Yeah. That is laughable. Yeah, and unless you're colorblind and you still see shades of gray, white, and black. Right, and 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 the thing that I look at too, and a lot of it when you hear things that are opposed to work like this or anti-bias or anti-racist education, whatever. I remember talking to Liz, and she's like, "Well, it's the name is going to change. Like the 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 moniker they use is going to talk about it, but really like." the argument then is to make it about character versus color 
But if it were really about character, we would look at the people who are in our government and in our positions of power right now and, and question whether people of that character should be in there. So I have a hard time when people try to make it that all of these, let's just say black people, the reason that they haven't done well is because their character is bad. When, when you make it, when you say that it's not about color, it's about character, the implication is then, and that's something that's been systemically there, that, that black people as a group are of bad character. You know, I hear that term, bad character, bad actors, thugs. I hear lazy. I hear uh, shiftless. I hear all these adjectives that they use, a lot of people use to describe the, the, the Black American, the African Americans that live here in the United States. But I say this, these are the same people you entrusted, your forefathers entrusted with their children, with their livestock their farms. It wasn't Master's Whip that kept the rice fields in South Carolina going. It was the knowledge that we knew of how to farm rice and how to get it to where it needs to be. That's what made it done. The whip just made sure we did it for free. So to say we're lazy, we're, we're, we're not in inventive, we're not any of this, these things, it is a joke. You cannot bring a question in a character because you don't see my character when you see me walking in an elevator and you clutch your purse. You don't see my character when I'm walking down the street and and all and, and, and I'm walking with a group of friends. You don't say, hey, that's a good character group of people there or that's a bad character group there. When you cross, you know, the, the you know, people who cross to the other side of the street or, you know, whatever those things are. And that's really, and you've said it to me multiple times and I think it's worth saying that the system the slavery system was you know in was being used for 250 years basically under that name and then it lived on for you know another 50 to 75 to 100 years after it was abolished and it's crazy that we think something that existed for 300 400 plus years we're going to change it in a few generations and, and that we can't just embrace the fact that these things are deep rooted in our culture. But we can change it, Kyle. We can change it in a generation if everyone speaks the same truth. So think about, I love the movie Vantage Point. And when you think about that movie Vantage Point, they talk about, they show the same scene over and over again from different people's views. When you do that type of movie, you get to see, okay, so I missed this whole part that was going on over here. Even though I did not see that, does not mean that it did not happen. You see what I'm saying? So, so if we want to really understand, you have to see how you said that slavery was abolished. I said it wasn't abolished, it was amended. Because it said that if you are imprisoned, the 13th Amendment says that if you are in prison, then you could go back to being a slave. And that's where the slave codes came in, the black codes, where, where they, now you have, have Africans and, and, and African-Americans who were, who were here that if you were caught walking around and you didn't have your papers saying that you were free or walking around and you didn't have a job, you can be imprisoned. 
and therefore sent back to the very plantation that you left to work for free. Or you had what they call indentured servitude where I'm gonna allow you to work for me in, in exchange for you to live here and eat the scraps off of my table. Come on, man, miss me on that, America. We have to own our wrong in order to move on. Too long, we have, we've tried to say this whole thing, I'm colorblind, justice is colorblind. Justice may be colorblind, but the judges see it. The jury sees it. I wonder how some trials would be held if you didn't see the defendant, if you didn't see the uh, the person that you were that you were having to be judged. You just heard the offenses that was taking place. I wonder how different sentencing would be. It wouldn't matter then your jury or peers because I wouldn't need to know why is it such a fight when you have a defendant's black man, Hispanic man, you know, Indian to say I need to have somebody that represent looks like me to represent me there because the system itself already is set up to say that I'm going to get the majority and bring it in here to speak on or speak against the minority. And whenever you do that, it's always gonna be an imbalance. But when you start to speak the truth and you start understanding how these systems they put in place since the early 1900s, since the early 1900s where it was, even though you're free, I still have the right to come take your property. Tulsa, Oklahoma. I can drop bombs and, 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 and kill people. I, I, I can blow up churches, but you're free. But you can't vote, not yet. And then the fact that, that the Voters, Voters Act has to be reamended every so many years is saying that if I chose to, I can get rid of this. So you better stop. I get heated at the hypocrisy uh, of people, so-called patriots, who, who want to say that you, you have to be happy. And the reason that you're not doing it is because, because you're, you're just lazy and you just don't want to do right. Nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to have a bad day. I don't think there's too many grooves from 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 uh, from despicable me that's going around and wakes up saying I want it to be a bad bad day. I don't think so. But what I think is there's a lot of people who forget their history, who forget their heritage, who forget where they came from, and forget what they what what society has inflicted upon a a, a group of individuals, a group of people who are supposed to be Americans. I heard a lady the other day on a thing talking about well, all these blacks can just go back to Africa. Ma'am, I was born here. My country of origin is right here. Now, maybe wow. for my maybe for my great great grandparents who were forced to come over here, who landed on the shores of South Carolina, who made their way up through Georgia, who made their ways down into Florida, who made their way across to, into Texas. And now I'm here as an embodiment, a living testament of America. But you're gonna tell me to go back to Africa? Most people, if you ask them, most of those so-called patriots probably don't even know the heritage that they came from. And their families have probably not been here as long as your family has. Exactly, exactly. Because I can trace my families here in Texas, Matagora County, back to 1800s. 
I can trace daddy's people back to the 1800s here in Matagorda County in Texas. So what, how does that make me any less of an American? But you're American. But you have to find your way to identify me as an African-American or a black American. If I was an American, I should just be an American. There's only one thing on, I mean, there, there, there's, there's African-American, there's black Americans, there's Hispanic American. They have all these classifications, but they lump all Caucasians in the same thing. They don't sell Irish, Caucasian American. They don't call Italian. me a German, they don't call me a German American. If we if if, it, if it's to identify heritage, but the reason that we that, that we don't like most people don't agree with critical race theory is because it forces people to look in the mirror of their history and see the ugliness that took place. And to see the ugliness is to try to fix it. But see, when people start talking like I just talked about fixing the problem, the first thing that somebody's gonna say, oh, so you're talking about reparations. I'm not talking about reparations. I'm saying that you have to fix the problem. You have to fix the problem. So how can you fix the problem? Does it usually cost money when you fix a problem? If your, if your pipes burst right now, that's a problem. Can we admit that? Yeah, 100%. That's a problem. And if it's not a problem that you can go in there and turn the water off yourself and cut the, if it's one little leak and it's one little thing, you could go and get a connector, put a T-joint in there, boom, put those jokers together, weld it, you know, put it, have it put together, boom, you're back in business. But if it's more than one leak, if, if the entire house is flooded because of the leak, if it's coming from inside and outside, now I have to pay somebody first to come in and clean up the mess. Second, then I have to pay somebody to come in and fix what caused the mess. Then I have to pay somebody to put it back together again. So you see all those costs that are coming up together that you, the homeowner, have to entail because you, well, I just moved in this house. I didn't make this pipes burst, but it's your house. You're it's your house. Responsible. You're responsible for it. And the laws that the, that the United States of America have put in place have been so, so anti-black. The reason that I could go to jail if I had crack cocaine, if I had, if I had rocks of crack cocaine, I get a longer, a higher jail sentence for crack cocaine than if I had more actual powder cocaine. When there's less actual cocaine in crack than there is in the pure cocaine. So where's the, what's the biggest difference between crack and cocaine? The demographic that uses it. I can get a bigger charge for marijuana in most states that's not made it legal than I could for cocaine. What's the biggest difference? The demographic that uses it. So blacks and whites consume marijuana at the same rate but blacks are incarcerated for marijuana at double the rate, triple the rate in some cases than our white or brown counterparts. But you wanna have a conversation about it's not racist. It's not a system built on racism. Then talk about how the banks refuse to give home loans 
to anybody, anybody black buying homes in a specific area. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how in 1995, a man could be killed in Jasper, Texas and dragged behind a truck just for walking down the street in America. So when you say that you don't see color, when you say that critical race theory is not, I'm gonna go ahead and segue into our next question. Why are so many th people threatened by critical race theory? If you say you don't see race, if you say you don't see it, then why is it? Why, why, why would you not want to examine it? To at least do a Mythbusters. Yeah, I mean, for me, and I've had this discussion with people that are within, you know, my sphere of our two families, and we hear people say that, well, they're just trying to rewrite our history. They're just trying to change all our history. They're trying to take down all of our statues. They're t attacking George Washington. But if it's about character, let's, let's really examine George Washington's character. Let's take a real look at George Washington's character and say, this is a man who did incredible things for this country and his influence can, probably can't be quantified. But he was a flawed man who owned slaves, who did not treat them particularly well. And, and that is a part of his character. Was that par for the course at the time? Yes. He was acting within the norms of that particular society. But we can say that the norms of that society were wrong and tell that part of our history. Like, I'm surprised, and, and I'm not trying to make comparisons, but, like, you've made the comparison to me that Martin Luther King is held up as this, like, perfect example of a Black leader, but he had infidelity problems. Didn't you tell me that that was the case? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But we don't. But he was human. Yeah, but we don't. But but again, but watch this infidelity where it may be immoral, it's not inhumane. Yeah, but the thing, the point I was going to make is, I never heard about that when I was learning about that either. So we have this thing where we want to hold all of the people that we you know we hold reverence to, in this position of, you know, this sphere where they were this perfect human, where we should be looking at them as just a human being who has flaws because every human being has flaws. But I think when you're studying it from a historical context, what happened between he and his wife had no bearing on what he did for a movement. Right. That's private. I wouldn't want anybody writing in the history books what I do in my home, own home outside of my work that I do for, for everybody else. Right. That's private. But when I publicly own slaves, co co uh, be in concert with, 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 with radical uh, right, uh, racist and supremacist groups. When I do that publicly, but yet and still my job is to uphold the moral character of the entire country, that's public. That's public. If I'm known to be a hard taskmaster on my slave and a brutal taskmaster, 
But yet and still, I'm saying all people, give me liberty or give me just come all ye who are burdened. I, I was reading what was written on the on the on the tablet of the Statue of Liberty. Come all ye who are oppressed. Come all you who seek liberty. Come all. It's saying come. But the moment we got here. It was a trap. Well, and, and I think. And he, hold, hold on real quick before you go. It was a trap because. Africans had already come to America before America became America. The Africans had sailed from Africa to the Americas and so intermingled with the natives, had exchanges of ideas and information, technology and ways of doing things with the natives that were here. Some left, some stayed, but no one tried to conquer. Come on and listen to me. Nobody tried to conquer and take for their own. So when we talk about real history, go back and look and see who was really riding with them. Every black person that was in America didn't come over on a slave ship. They did not. Some of us came on our own. Some of us came because we were truly trying to do a cultural exchange. There were kings in Africa. Mali said, hey, I'm going to send 30 ships and I, I don't want you to come back. Load them up with whatever you can. Go intermingle. Some of you may not make it. Some of you will. And the ones who make it are going to go and they're going to spread our knowledge into a new world. This was the thinking of the Africans. It was not, I'm going to come over here and beat you over your head and take your knowledge. That wasn't the case. It was, we come in peace. Wait, I know we speak different languages, but look, we all speak gold. We all speak silver. We all speak frankincense. We all speak myrrh. We, we know spices. We know these things that we know, and there is a common ground. But when you have someone who says, I have to say that I'm superior, both morally, physically, intellectually, in order to make you feel inferior, in order to move my agenda, that's wrong. And it needs to be examined, it needs to be exposed, it needs to be discussed, and that's why people are threatened. It's not rewriting history, it's telling history. It's not rewriting history, it's telling history. Am I for tearing down and defacing all of the Confederate uh, Confederate uh, statues? No, I think they should be where they should be. Put them in a museum, put a stamp there to say who he really was. Make a stamp there so that people can see, because again, tearing it down doesn't change the legacy. Putting in a place where people can learn about the history. You know, you hear people all the time, oh, the Ku Klux Klan, the Ku Klux Klan. But why is the Ku Klux Klan not labeled as, as a militia, as a, uh, as a terrorist group? I think it just got a terrorist distinction here recently. But they were they really terrorizing Americans? Mm. You don't see race, but the Ku Klux Klan didn't terrorize, didn't terrorize anybody but anybody who wasn't white. So you're saying America's, America's white? E pluribus unum, out of many, there's one. How can you have many if everybody's the same? You bring the many together, gives you your diversity. So now your diversity becomes what you are. 
a melting pot. You can't make gumbo and eat shrimp opposite of the root, have okra opposite of the tomatoes. All of that goes in together. And once it's in the pot together, it becomes what it is. If it's not all together, then I have a bunch of pots of a bunch of ingredients. But the moment I put them all together, that becomes a melting pot. That's what America was supposed to be. That was, that's what it was supposed to be. But it started off with our native brothers because they said, I'm not gonna let you just come over here and take my land. You're not even coming over here trying to, trying to, trying to intermingle with us. You fooled me and then you kill me. And then you say, oh, I feel bad. So I'm gonna give you these reservations in these areas where, 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 you're, where you can go and do what you do, but yet still you're not really doing what you do because you used to have it all. And now I'm giving you just a couple of hundred acres in the worst possible place. You put them out in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. You put them out in the middle of nowhere in West Texas and East Texas where there's absolutely nothing. Sounds familiar? I can go to Cashmere Gardens here in Houston. There's no, there's no grocery store except for the little grocery store that's maybe a little small mom and pop spot. No HEB, no Walmart, no Target, no Kroger, but I can go to River Oaks and I could pass an HEB, a Target, a Walgreens, a CVS, a, 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 a Kroger three or four times over before I even leave the neighborhood. So I'm gonna put you in a place and force you to live in a way that's inhumane. And then I'm gonna blame you for you being in your situation. Then I'm going to, to, to offer you help, but then I'm gonna criticize you for taking the help. And then I'm gonna paint this picture and this image of you to be these people of bad character, not a person of bad circumstance. Come on, man. Miss on. And, and I just, what I was gonna say to that, and, and you know, we've seen several examples of this, why, don't, why do people th feel threatened? I think it's because people don't want to have an um, honest conversation about what American values are and whether we live up to them. Because I think if we had honest conversations about the um, what are quote unquote American values and you had to put it up against all of these things that we've done and we're doing, we would have to admit that we're not living up to the values that we set. It's easier to dismiss things like critical race theory or anti-bias education as an attack on the American way rather than have a real discussion about mm -hmm. those value, values that we speak of and those values that we say. I mean, look at, look at even just with like drugs, you know, how, how often, you know, when a white person commits a crime or, or something like that, do they make all the excuses for them? Oh, well, they were having mental health issues and they were doing this and they were on drugs and, you know, it really wasn't that they were just strictly a bad person. But then you have a situation like George Floyd where people point to the fact that he had had drug problems and that at the but, time he was, he was killed, he had taken drugs. And, but and watch this, crack hit, it became an epidemic, a criminal epidemic. Meth hits, it's all of a sudden a mental health issue. Or the it's a health crisis, or the, or the opioids, it, it becomes a, a mental health health issue, but crack becomes a criminal issue. Think about the comparison between the two, but you don't see race. 
Yes, you see race in the bills that they pass. You see race in the laws that they pass. You see race in the redlining that they doing when they drawing up districts and they, you, you see it. You see it. You don't see red, white, and blue. You don't. And that's an indictment against America who on the Statue of Liberty says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. But yet and still, you have people right now who are still not free. We incarcerate, our prison system is larger than any other place on the planet, and we're not the largest country on the planet. We're not even remotely close to being the largest country. China's got to be like six, seven times bigger than we are. And we imprison more people than China. Or India. Or India. These are places that we consider to be back. Oh, no, you can't, can't do that. that. That's, that's not, that's not, uh, that's, that's, that's first world countries. That's, you know, that, that's third world countries that, you know, they, they have a lot of, but they have a value system. And they see you're Indian, you're Indian. You're Chinese, you're Chinese. Right. You, know, you, you, and you, you see what I'm saying? Not here in America, though. And it, it's just so strange to me that I was reading a little bit before this too, 25 states have proposed bills about race and anti-bias and things relating to critical race theory in schools and already five have gotten passed. And one of them is the state that you're in. We were talking about this last week. How can you teach American history when you can be fined 5,000 bucks for talking about racism? And the way the, the way it's worded is that, you know, you have to make sure that you give deference and you bring up all sides. But the governor has said that he's going to try to go farther than this bill that's already there. And here's the issue that I have more than that is that nobody's really talking about it in, in an uproar about it. It angers me when I saw what Governor Abbott did, Governor Abbott did. Because he, he, he's continuing the trend of Trump. And again, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not anti-Trump. I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm the person who, growing up in the 80s in the neighborhood, Donald Trump was a celebrity, was an icon to me and to most of, the, most of my friends. So you can miss me on saying, oh, you just hate Donald Trump. No, I don't hate Donald Trump. I hate what he stands for. Because what he stood for in the 80s was business and money. What he stands for right now is division and foolishness. There's a shift that took place within him that now causes me to take a better look at who, a critical examination of who he is as a person. Well, and I just, with him, I agree with you too. Had Donald Trump not gotten into politics, I would really not have an opinion of him one way or the other. But all of these people coming back that are talking about, let's talk about character over color. How many of those same people overlook his character, knowing all the things about him? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to, if you want to have an honest conversation about Biden's character, I will happily have it because Biden, just the same as anyone, 
has things that he's done wrong. He's had mistakes as a politician. He's made mistakes as a person, you know, but if it's really about character, then we should be examining people's character. And my question is, why is it that we only want to examine the character of those people who you feel are a threat to what you consider to be American values? When I think about American values, and, and I go back to our Declaration of Independence. Go back to our, our, our forefathers was like, well, they, when they wrote that, they, this is what they meant. No, 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 don't tell me what, no. I want you to read what they wrote right now. And I want you to tell me that what they wrote then is not relevant right now. Because what they wrote then, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed. Can we Go just ahead. stop with that self-evident piece? Like that wording alone should make it very clear. Like it's self-evident that all men are created equal. That means you shouldn't have to justify yourself as an equal. I should not have to. There should not be conversations of inequity. There should not be. Not if we're Americans. This is what we said when we declared our independence. And remember, when they declared their independence, there were people from all over then in this country. There were other people on, on, on the boats when they came over here. There were more people who migrated over here. There was more people who said, oh, this is a new land. There was, there was, there was Spanish. You know what I'm saying? There were more people who came here. But you're telling me that our forefathers wrote this. They didn't say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all white men are created equal. We interpret it that way because we say back then it was a, it was a male-driven society and it was written by men and all this stuff. So we add that context to it. But when they sat down and pinned it, they were looking and saying, everybody who comes to this country should be free and they should have equal rights. So we're going to say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are not only created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, rights you can't get rid of, rights that you can't. You can't shave for some to add to others. That among these, among these doesn't mean that this is all of them, but just among you, these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they changed that last part. When they took it from the French, the French declaration says life, liberty, and property. But they had the foresight not to say property. But the word you used right there that strikes me in, in all of this is interpretation. Because that document is open to interpretation, it's not spelled out in terms of this is what exactly what this means. It gives us, which is one great, because it gives us the opportunity to all have a discussion about it. Mm -hmm. But on the same token, it can be interpreted a thousand different ways. And if you can, if you can catch on one particular way of interpreting it and, and that be the gospel... You know, they, they the didn't. The gospel should be in the words. 
It should be in the words. If I look up the definition of all, if I look up the definition of men, if I look up the definition of created, and I look up the definition of equal, neither one of those will say man, white men, all, only those of Caucasian descent, created, only those who are white born. And it doesn't say that. So when we look at the words that they penned, their words, we're not living. They pinned our value system and we're not living it because we interpret it one way and we refuse to make the changes necessary to adhere to what they wrote that many years ago. Well, it's getting to be the point where you got to jump back into your class. We did not get the third question. Well, yeah, we do. What does it mean to our students? I'll tell you right now, real quick before we go. What it means for our students is simply, if we teach it, they'll be able to make informed decisions in the future. If we don't, then we're masquerading them and they're leaving education, they're leaving their K-12 experience with blinders on thinking that the way I see it, the way they taught it to me is the way it is. And it's not the whole truth. I would be a disservice if I didn't teach my daughter about slavery when I have, I've had slaves in my family. When my bloodline traces back to people who were enslaved in America, that would be an injustice to her because then she would grow up thinking that we've always done this and that no, that there were not people who had to fight to get something different. Same way with, with, the, with the person whose family owns things. You would do them an injustice to know the inhumane, inhumane things that their family participated in, but to see the shift that took place and to understand that there is hope that we can change and we evolve and move things in, different, in, diff, in a different direction. So teaching critical race theory does not undermine the American value system. It enhances the American value system. And when we tell our students that there are certain parts of history that you should not know, there are certain parts of history that you should not learn is a fallacy and it forces them to live in a false made up world. Yeah, man, I agree. And it's just like that same thing. You know, we can talk about how many of our families descended you know, from slave owners and maybe not my family that came originally to Wisconsin or Iowa, they most likely were not slave owners at the time when they came. But I can admit and understand that the society that was created in that particular way, I have benefited from strictly because of the color of my skin. And also, I think one of the hard things is people feel like if we acknowledge that blacks especially have had difficulty because of the color of their skin, it undermines the fact that other people have had difficult lives. We can't just say like, my life is difficult, but my life is not difficult because of the color of my skin. Your life has been difficult and part of it is because of the color of your skin. We can say those two things to be, I, I, would you agree that both of those things are factual? Yes. So, all right, brother, this is the end of this episode. I know you got this going on. You got kids coming back in for summer school. So we are going to cut it here. Hope everybody has a great and blessed day. Have a great weekend. And we'll be back with you next week. Peace, love, and respect.